This is your host, Grant Vermeer, Naval Academy Class of 2017, and I'm your Academy Insider. It's my goal to be your guide through the Naval Academy experience by sharing my stories and providing you inside information into the life of a midshipman. Academy Insider is in no way officially affiliated with the United States Naval Academy. All of the content on Academy Insider is my own and does not reflect the views of the United States Naval Academy, the United States Navy, nor the Department of Defense. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Academy Insider podcast. Today I'm joined by Peg Klein, who's a class of 1981 graduate from the Naval Academy, one of the first classes to have women in Annapolis. Peg retired as a rear admiral in the Navy, and during her time as a naval officer, she served as the first female commandant of the United States Naval Academy, which is really awesome. So she's been kind enough to share her time with us to talk about her experience getting to the Academy at the Academy as a Naval Flight Officer, but most importantly, as the Commandant of the Midshipmen, she shares a lot of her insight about what she wanted to accomplish and what she was thinking about when she returned to the Naval Academy. It's a great episode. I think you guys will really like it. Let's check it out. All right. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Academy Insider Podcast. And Peg, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I really, really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here, Grant. Thanks for the invite. Of course. And before we get going today, talking about a lot of different topics, if you don't mind just taking the time to tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you came from, and a little bit about your family upbringing that brought you to the Naval Academy. Sure. Yeah, my dad was a Navy reservist, and he had his private pilot's license. And Mm -hmm. so I had both a love of flying. I got a love of flying from him and uh, a love of the Navy that I wasn't even really too sure about. Mm Mm-hmm. So I was the oldest of four girls. And so he took me with him when he went flying and I was hooked from a yeah. very young age. Oh, that's fantastic. And as far as I understand it from an interview, interview you gave, when you graduated high school, the academy still was an all-male institution. Is that correct? So you couldn't even apply straight out of high school? That's right. That's right. As a matter of fact, I was a freshman at Penn State when my dad first sent me the application and the newspaper article that said the service academies were opening to women. So it was kind of cool. And I had no idea how historic it was. Uh, Absolutely. And so can you tell us a little bit about the story then? You're already at Penn State. You're at a great school. What really drove you or motivated you to be like, you know what, I want to put in this application and I want to go there? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting, at least certainly to me, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, when this was the seventies, this was mid seventies, Vietnam drawdown was going down and the ROTC program I was in non-scholarship was already talking about drawing down. And they said, Hey, we can't really guarantee a commission. And I said, well, I'm not doing this, whether it's ROTC or the Academy, I'm not doing this. If, this all ends up in 90 days of active duty and then they say farewell. So Mm -hmm. that was the big driver. Of course, then there's the tuition benefits, which was also a significant driver. Yeah, absolutely. And when you entered uh, as a plebe in 1977, just one year after the Naval Academy started uh, accepting women into the classes, what were you thinking as a young woman going into this process about breaking gender barriers? Was that even a thought to you going through this? Were you aware and kind of uh, thinking about that factor or were you just, hey, I'm going to the Naval Academy and there wasn't much else going through your mind? So I have to tell you, I grew up the oldest of four girls. Mm-hmm. My dad my dad and mom both very equal opportunity minded without ever using those words. 
Yeah. So when I got to the Naval Academy, all I knew was the law changed. I was allowed to go. And I didn't really follow much, right? Just mm-hmm. well before the internet. And so I didn't know much about what was going on, whether it was difficult or easy for the women who were there. I just knew, hey, I want to be in the Navy. Mm-hmm. And so really wasn't too concerned about what was going to get in my way. Um, then I got there and some butthole <laughs> said, you know, I'm chopping, I'm chopping down through, I was in 27th company. So mm-hmm. Some guy said to me, oh, did you come here to get your MRS degree? And I'd been in college at that point for two years. Mm-hmm. And I was like, a bubble over my head, which is yeah. usually the expression on my face, said, you've got to be crapping me, right? Like, first of all, I would want to marry you. And <laughs> second of all, I would care, like, I would do this to, you know. So anyway, it's, mm-hmm. uh, so that was really my first exposure to like, oh, this is not going to be a normal college experience. <laughs> Absolutely. And what's funny is I thought I had a tough plebe summer and I talk about it a lot. What was yours like? What was that experience like? And how many how many other women were in the class with you? And was that a factor of not really having many uh, women around you going through that process? Yeah. So, I mean, it was a time of great change for the Navy, right? It's the, mm-hmm. By the time I got there in 77, there were about 80 women in our class mm-hmm. and we started with about a little over 80 and ended with about 65. Okay. And, and I, I still have to tell you, I just wanted to come to the Naval Academy to get a commission. Yeah. And there, there were three women in my company when we started out and we got shuffled around over the four years that I was there, but I wasn't too, like I knew I wanted to fly. Mm-hmm. My, one of my roommates was a superstar basketball player and she, you know, she was, and she was straight out of high school and she's mm-hmm. a dear friend, but her goal was not flying. My goal was like, I want to get a commission and go flying. And I've already been in college for two years. And mm-hmm. so let's get this done. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and so during your time at the Academy, you mentioned you were part of the 27th company. What else did you do? Were you uh, like, I'll say, so you're very interested in flying. Were there any clubs like there are now about aviation or flying or anything like that? Or were there any activities that you were a part of as a midshipman? So um, that's a great question because it brings up what I thought was one of the most important aspects. And now as I study leadership, one of the most important aspects about the Naval Academy is the socialization that occurs. Mm -hmm. So everybody wants to do whatever they can do to kind of avoid the hardest parts of plead summer. So I joined the Catholic choir and, you know, because you get to have cookies and punch on Sunday morning. (laughs) And I mean, it would, believe me, it was nice. I met great people, but you were like, Oh, I can get out of the hall for an extra 30 minutes. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, I just started swimming on like the three person JV swim team, right? Because we had an amazing swimmer in Peggy Feldman, but, you know, I was not an amazing swimmer. So we did those things to, you know, to socialize. And I had great company mates. Uh, that, that, yeah, that, that's fantastic. And I, and I love that. Um, again, you talked about wanting to pursue a career of naval aviation. You knew you wanted to go there. Were there any times that you doubted that? Or were there, I guess, kind of on the flip side, were there any mentors at the academy other than your father that further increased your interest in wanting to become an aviator? Yeah, so... We had, uh, so there were no female aviators that at the academy. They had just, 73 was when the Navy opened the pilot uh, pipeline up, up okay. to women. And, and it wasn't until the class of the 80 graduated that the NFO pipeline opened up. Okay. So there were no female mentors, but I just, it, it didn't really bother me. There were plenty of aviators there. 
and there are plenty of people interested in aviators, no aviation clubs at the mm-hmm. time. So you just talk to people about flying and, you know, talk to them about their tools. Uh, a group of influencers that we had tremendous benefits from were POWs, the okay. race was 77, 78. And so we had people like Admiral Stockdale and uh, Captain Stratton and a, and a whole group of people who had come to the Naval Academy frequently and talked to us both about aviation and their experience as POWs and had a huge, huge influence in us. Wow, that's that's way cool. I mean, that is definitely a fantastic experience. And then, obviously, you did you went and you service selected as a naval flight officer. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about um, what you did as a naval flight officer? And then, if you have any words of uh, thought about the naval aviation community for any potentially future mids or parents out there that may have a son or daughter moving into. Uh, the naval flight officer or naval aviation communities in general um, about your time as a naval aviator. Sure. So let me go back. And Admiral Lawrence was our superintendent at the time. So he was a prisoner of war. So all these people, right. He was one of the people who kind of probably attracted these folks to come and influence us. Mm -hmm. Anyway, my time as a naval flight officer, I, uh, I really just wanted to fly and I didn't know anything about anything Okay, let's start with that. (laughs) Um, And I certainly didn't know anything other than being a pilot. So when I was at the Naval Academy, I got to learn a little bit about being a Naval Flight Officer. And then Mm -hmm. I was stashed for about eight months before I went down to flight school and started down at flight school. And the thing that I loved about flight school is, you know, when you're getting a bachelor's degree, there's lots of topics that you need to study that don't necessarily, you don't see how they connect to what you're going to do for the next five or 10 years, or in Mm -hmm. my case, 35 years. Um, so flight school was real, right? They taught you how to aviate, communicate, navigate, not in that order. And you absolutely understood why you needed to learn these things. Mm -hmm. And so that was phenomenal. And again, it was in Pensacola, Florida. So it was lovely. (laughs) Um, and, and the aviators down there, the distinct impression you got in Pensacola is the people that were there instructing you as a nugget aviator, um, they loved flying. And so that contagion that I had seen in my dad that I had gotten from my dad was very evident and in Pensacola. Yeah, absolutely. And then what was your career path, excuse me, career path that brought you to then ultimately become the commandant of midshipmen? How how did you end up there? And was that any ever, you know, did that ever cross your mind until the opportunity presented itself? Uh, No, not at all. So the opportunity to be the commandant was a friend emailed me and said, hey, you know, they're opening up the application process. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, had gone from my initial flying days and I had a uh, department head and squadron commander and then wing commander. And while I was wing commander um, in the middle of Oklahoma of all places, I really enjoyed the flying. And I, but I stayed in the Navy. I came into the Navy because of my love of flying. I mm-hmm. stayed in the Navy for love of people. Mm-hmm. So when a friend said, Hey, they're opening up the application to be commandant. I was like, Hey, that's nice. Why would they want me to be commandant? Because I made two thirds of my class look good. Right. (laughs) I was not in the top half of my class academically, (laughs) but I learned so much at the Naval Academy and I had great friendships there that when they asked for people to interview, I was like, sure, why not? The Navy's let me do all these other interesting things. Why not try that? 
Yeah, absolutely. And you end up getting selected and you had the second uh, time. <laughs> the second, okay. It took, me, it took me two times. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And what made you want to apply again the second time? Was that oh, a. I didn't. Against- I, didn't. Oh, yeah. I had no desire to apply the second time. <laughs> I uh, had uh, Emerald Grooms got selected the first time and he yeah. was such a better choice than I. Um, and then the Naval Academy said, Hey, you applied last time, uh, mm-hmm. you know, would like to come interview you again. And I was kind of like, Hey, I've kind of moved on. And they were in their own inimitable fashion. They were like, no, you don't understand. We call them orders <laughs> and we want you to come interview again. And so I did, mm-hmm. and I was at sea on a carrier straight group and I had yeah. lots of time to make up. So I was like, no, I think this is what I'm supposed to be doing there. They're like interview and, and it was a lot of naval aviation hierarchy that actually supported me both times I applied, but mm. really were the people who encouraged me the second time and said, no, we really think you'd be a good fit. Yeah. And they were Naval Academy grads and they, um, you know, I guess they thought that I had more to offer, mm-hmm. you know, I guess. Yeah. Well, that's. A crazy story. That's that's uh, the fact that you dis- that you still ended up there as commandant. And for anyone who doesn't maybe understand uh, what we mean when we use the term commandant, can you briefly explain what your role was uh, in the Naval Academy as a commandant, a midshipman? Sure. You know, like any other college, there's a dean of students. Well, at the Naval Academy, right, because it's such a unique environment, the dean of students is responsible not just for like keeping the students uh, occupied with fun things to do, right? Sports does that, <laughs> academics does that, extracurricular activities. But we're really responsible for the professional development and responsible for the midshipmen 24-7. So all the way from plebe summer to graduation. And that was coordinating with like five other captains. So I went there as a captain and mm-hmm. there were five other captains that I had to work really closely with. So it was a great exercise in collaboration. Yeah. And how did you feel about coming back to Annapolis? Were you excited to make your way back? Was it weird or even kind of surreal to return back as the commandant of midshipmen? How was that feeling? So I have to tell you that for the first couple of months, I kept having this nightmare that they were going to figure out something in my graduation requirements that I had missed or that they messed up. So I was like, so when I first got back there, I was just thinking, no, they're going to figure out that there's a mistake. I knew of no mistake, but I just, it was very, very surreal. After a little while, I kind of got used to it, but it was still surreal, especially when you're standing out there. Or parades or you know whatever the official ceremony is i'm mm-hmm. sitting there next to the superintendent i was like oh that person when i was a man that person was really old and i was like okay i guess i'm really old right <laughs> uh, that's, that's funny um uh, so as you as you return then and you're doing your turnover so you show up and you're doing turnover and you're kind of getting the lay of the land did you notice any significant differences from that initial step onto the yard, from your experience when you were a midshipman, had you noticed any big changes? Yeah, I, um, well, first of all, they had air conditioning in Bancroft Hall, they, <laughs> which they, I think they got that in the 90s. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, your, your experience as a student is you're a user. My mm-hmm. experience as a commandant where you're making all those things behind the scene happen and trying to both advocate for midshipmen and then at the same time, make sure that they were being professionally developed. Mm -hmm. When I got there, it was late 2006, early 2007. We'd been 
in Afghanistan and then by that point in Iraq. So we'd been there since 2001. So I think the big deal was I got there post-Vietnam. Mm-hmm. When I got back as commandant, the students were volunteering and we were at war. Yeah. So the students seemed very much more patriotic than I remember being. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was patriotic, um, but they were also, they also seemed so much smarter. They seemed so much smarter and so they knew so much more about the Navy, mm-hmm. you know, at least from what you could read. So those were the big, big differences. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you now finally go and you take command of the commandant or of the brigade of midshipmen, what was your vision or goal? What was, what did you want to accomplish in your in your tenure there as the commandant? What were your main focuses for the brigade of midshipmen? Yeah, I I guess I wanted you know we take very seriously the whole developing midshipmen morally, mentally, physically. Mm-hmm. And I saw very, you know, the mentally and the physically, that seems to make sense and be all pretty measurable. But the the professional development part, that how what you're doing on a day-to-day basis in Bancroft Hall, I wanted to make sure that there was a connection with what they would be doing in the fleet. And so that was my goal was to connect the midshipmen, connect the brigade with what was going on in the fleet. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's something that we definitely uh, did now. So I have, a, I guess, a, just a generic question for you. Do you know if there was, prof- was there professional knowledge when you were a midshipman? And then was there professional knowledge when you were the commandant of midshipmen uh, in terms of for the plebes? Yeah, there was. Yes, yes, okay. definitely. And so, but it was kind of interesting, right? As a plebe, like everything you needed to learn was kind of in reef points. Yeah. And now, right, you start with reef points and most midshipmen, right? Most midshipmen candidates like have a copy of reef points and they've got that all memorized by the time they get there. They're standing there, please, some are going, what the heck is this, right? So, so I guess like the amount of gouge, right, that mm-hmm. goes around probably has also changed just because it can be so easily... Uh, perpetuated around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. And uh, one thing that I saw, and I, I think it's obvious that you, you have uh, a great pride and respect in the Naval Academy. And I read a quote that really intrigued me from an interview, interview you gave, uh, which is that you said, I want to make sure that when midshipmen graduate, they're ready to serve as ensigns and second lieutenants. What you just kind of talk about is that professional development. And you went on to say, I want them to be ready to make a difference. And I want people to notice a difference between an academy grad and everyone else. Can you talk a little bit about what you wanted that difference to be? What did you want for them to get out of the Naval Academy experience that would really separate them in a positive manner? Yeah, I I can't tell you that I knew exactly what that was. Mm -hmm. But but I think now studying leadership, both for my own studies, I'm a doctoral student, which I like that was a kind of a crazy journey, but I also (laughs) study leadership at the Naval War College. And I think what the big difference is, is we have the Naval Academy, you have four years of socialization and that's four years to absorb the Navy culture because, you know, the instructors, the faculty members, they bring the Navy culture or the culture from their particular specialty. They bring it back and they share it with, with the midshipmen. So not only do you have that immersion, 
But you're also, you know, in the company, right? Companies, when I was coming out, were like 110, 120 people. Mm-hmm. You have that immersion and those people are your family. That is very similar to what happens out in the fleet, right? Ship company or your squadron, that becomes your family. And, and mm-hmm. I think that's a big difference maker in helping you be comfortable from day one in your squadron, ship, submarine, yeah. Whatever your platform is. Whatever <laughs> platform. Fantastic. Um, great. Well, thank you for that. And I guess I have one more question really about now kind of on the back end of your time as a Commodore midshipman, did you ever realize or, or think about or reflect on potentially your influence in being the first female Commandant of Midshipmen? Did that, did that factor ever cross your mind that you were a trailblazer in that sense as the first uh, female to be the commandant of midshipmen, and do you ever does that does that fact ever cross your mind, or do you ever think about um, that side of it? Um, it was one of the reasons I almost didn't apply to mm-hmm. be commandant, and then a friend said, "You know, you could make a difference," and so it's hard to turn that challenge down. While I was there, it became obvious to me that the class of 2011, the year I was there, like for good or bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really care so much what they thought about me individually, but the class of 2011, their plebe year, they only knew a female commandant. Yeah. And when you look at in, there was a commandant's conference room and it's got pictures of all the previous commandants and, uh, from, uh, General Allen as the first Marine and Bruce Grooms, the first African American to me, you're like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, this last 10 years, the pictures don't look anything like they did the hundred years prior. Mm-hmm. So it didn't didn't make a difference in I felt how I led. But when I stepped back and tried to be objective about it, you're like, oh, crap, that's quite the responsibility. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's great. Uh, And and that's uh, fantastic. And you went on to continue on, uh, put on uh, Rear Admiral, and then you ended up retiring at the rank of Rear Admiral. And you talked a little bit about uh, now being a candidate for a PhD, what else are you currently doing now uh, after your time in the Navy? And how has your experience in the Navy kind of helped you out in that transition and what you're doing today? Yeah, so the, the transition was interesting because for the first time in 35 years, I had a, I had a vote in what I was going to do next. <laughs> So usually I was accustomed to kind of having a menu of choices and then mm-hmm. I had a vote. So I, uh, a friend of mine who was a company mate at the Naval Academy is the president of the New England Center and Home for Veterans up in Boston. And, and so, you know, he asked me onto his board and I've taken up a couple other nonprofit boards. Uh, mm-hmm. So I do that. And then teaching leadership and ethics. I'm the dean of leadership and ethics at the Naval War College, one of two postgraduate institutions in the Navy. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I love teaching, but I love I love the part of teaching that takes the scholarship and applies it. So it's not scholarship for scholarship's sake. That's the, there are plenty of folks who do that, but I love scholarship for how it can expand your horizons beyond just your own experience. That's it in a nutshell. I love it. <laughs> well, that is fantastic. And, and I heard Newport's not a bad place to be either, right? Newport doesn't suck. <laughs> yeah, not, not bad when it's no longer orders and it's your choice and you ended a place like uh, Newport. Yeah, it could right. be worse. Could That's be worse. Right. 
Um, great. Well, thank you so much. Do you have anything else before we jump into what I call the lightning round of questions, which I ask all of former midshipmen to come on and do? Do you have anything else that you would like to share about your time in the Navy or your time as commandant or anything else that you think might be applicable to the audience of potentially future candidates or parents and loved ones of midshipmen? Yeah, I, you know, the sense of giving back, there were so many mids when I was commandant, there were so many mids who donated so much of their time, not because anyone told them to, not because it got them credit towards a higher class ranking. They just did it because it was the right thing to do. I think that's one of the things that separates the Naval Academy and, and today's midshipmen from perhaps previous generations. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about the greatest generation, but I have to tell you how incredibly impressed I was at all the midshipmen who donated time uh, to, to needy causes. And you still see it advertised, you know, on the Naval Academy's uh, Facebook page. And that is just super impressive. And, and I feel like it's always been a responsibility to give back to the people who paid my salary for 35 years. So, um, yeah, I think that's really important and an important part of our education. Absolutely. And I actually have one more question just out of curiosity is that obviously having been one of the first classes uh, of women at the Naval Academy to then coming back roughly, you know, 20 plus years after graduating to be the commandant and seeing that incremental step of development of the Naval Academy, what do you think the future forward of the Naval Academy is? Do you see it changing and adapting at all or currently moving forward? Or do you see it staying staying roughly uh, the same institution that you were a part of? So that's a a really interesting question because really interesting. Um, I think the strength of the Naval Academy is its ability as an institution to evolve to mm-hmm. anticipate what the needs of the future Navy are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. That is a strength. And it's really funny. A lot of times you'd get emails or letters from previous alum and they're like, why'd you change this? Why'd you change that? And, and so, you know, kind of educating alum, pre- especially some of us more senior alum, yeah. right? It's just really important to help understand that the things that are going on at the Naval Academy now are anticipating future needs. Yeah, that's I can I can only imagine the, the amount of things that uh, people uh, potentially love to complain about about a changing naval academy and how many, how many comments you may have received about that. Uh, that's that's exciting. Um, all right, well, thank you so much for sharing that. And before or not before, let's let's do it. You ready to jump into the lightning round of questions? You betcha. All right. First question is: What is your favorite spot on the yard? Memorial Hall. Mm-hmm. Memorial Hall. Oh my gosh, it's so inspirational. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where I retired, and oh, it's a place of reflection, mm-hmm. and um, and it's a place to remember. Right, you look on the walls, and there are names of people who lost their lives in service to their country. And you know, we certainly grieve all the losses to our class, but those halls are special. Without a doubt. And moving down just a couple sets of stairs uh, beneath Memorial Hall, right into King Hall. What was your favorite <laughs> meal from your time as a midshipman or as a commandant? Uh, favorite meal in King Hall? So as a midshipman, I have to tell you, this is my, these are my food priorities, right? Vanilla ice cream with peanut butter. Yep. It was like <laughs> the best. Why would I want to eat protein when I could have vanilla ice cream with a little bit of peanut butter on it? 
<laughs> oh, absolutely. So you guys still, did, was it like the soft serve machines that you had down there? Or was it like oh, no, hard pack ice was, cream? It was hard pack ice cream that Ooh. they made on our dairy. Like we had our own cows that in Gambling. It was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, well, that, well, that's fancy. I never got hard pack at the Academy. What the heck? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Born okay. too late, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, fantastic. All right. So a lot of uh, people who listen to the Academy Insider Podcast have people reach out to me uh, and ask about book recommendations. Well, I love to bring on other people uh, like yourself and ask them, what's your favorite book and what book would you recommend uh, to someone based on your own personal preference towards it? Yeah, I um so I would I, I'm glad you asked me that question ahead of time because there's probably like five books five. that I would recommend. <laughs> but let me just let me name probably two. All right. I love because I I read about leadership for fun because that's kind of the warped Same person I am. Nice. <laughs> I love Simon Sinek's Leaders Eat Last because yep. he studies people. Mm-hmm. And I've had a chance to talk to Simon over the last few years and he really is. He does want to make the world a better place, but he wants us to understand people, right? Mm-hmm. And what motivates people and our obligation to people. The other one is Michael Lewis's newest book, The Undoing Project. I am a student of uh, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Diversity, and mm-hmm. Michael Lewis does a great job telling that story. So those are the two books that I'd say, again, Kahneman and Traversy. Um, study behavioral economics and kind of help us understand how we're not as always as rational as we'd like to think we are as people, as humans. Hmm. So, Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. All right. And now to make a turn to a little bit more of the sentimental looking back. Um, so the first question is who or what? So either person or experience that you had is the biggest influence to your leadership style today that you can trace back to your time as a midshipman. Yeah, I have to tell you, those POWs, right, from Admiral mm-hmm. Lawrence to uh, Dick Stratton, who's from my hometown, Admiral Stockdale, they absolutely influenced us in ways we didn't even understand till we kind of traced back, why Why do you do that? And so, uh, yeah, absolutely. Commander Galanti, Paul Galanti was a battalion officer when I was there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, those people as a group and like they concentrated at the Naval Academy likely because they were still getting care up at Bethesda. So it was easy for them to pop in on us when they were in town. Um, Mm. Yeah, but had a tremendous influence. Wonderful. And now moving on to, I'm sure there were a lot of tough times at the Academy, but also a lot of great times. And we want to talk about the great times. What was your favorite memory from your time as a midshipman? Yeah, I got to imagine service selection night because the women only had the women only had 15 warfare slots. So we had for the 65 of us, there were five surface billets, five pilot billets and five NFO billets. And and they at the time they were they called us out by class rank and you went and you went down to a bunch of tables and picked up. Mm -hmm. Well, I got the 15th of those. 15 slots and and uh, you know nfo was the last slot to go i wasn't qualified to be pilot and uh because yeah. i had no prk or lasik at the time <laughs> i have to tell you kind of the realization of that dream of being able mm-hmm. to go fly was yeah. probably was probably it it kind of made everything else worthwhile that's wonderful but what happened to the 
the other women then? Did they not get a warfare spot or what was the, what was the result of that? So like there were each community would offer up a few slots. Like my backup plan was I was going to be a media, a METOC officer yeah, okay. uh, because I was an oceanography major. They went mm-hmm. to fly Corps. We had a woman diver. Okay. We had a bunch of things that wherever they could take women that uh, the warfare restrictions uh, mm. wouldn't impact community management. So we did all yeah. kinds of crazy things. Yeah. Um, They're great. I just, yeah, I was really, really fortunate. Cause yeah, there were a couple, couple people who were just like, well, I think I might want to do this. I was like, no, you don't understand. This is why I came to the Naval Academy. Please, <laughs> no, don't, please, don't, please don't take please that take, slot because you think you might want to do it. Yeah, absolutely. This is my out. dream. This is my dream. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Um, all right. And then the final question I have for you is what advice would you give to someone who may be interested in the Naval Academy, so potentially a high school student, about what to consider when trying to decide if the Naval Academy is the right decision for them um, for their college choice? Yeah. So I get asked this question fairly frequently, you know, because my colleagues all have kids and kids who are know somebody who's thinking about going to the Naval Academy. And the yeah. first question I always ask is really need to understand why you want to enter the Navy or Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. Right? So that is job one. Figure that out. And if you don't like have a really good reason that starts at your core, then you shouldn't like kind of go back and think about that. Mm -hmm. After that, I would look for like-minded people. So in other words, I was all in. I went to the Naval Academy after two years in college because Mm -hmm. I wanted to be all in. If you want to be all in, right, ROTC, there are some amazing ROTC programs around the country. Mm -hmm. But if you want to be all in and you want to do this, you want to live this life, this leadership, this learning, high immersion, the Naval Academy is the place to be. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to join us today. I can't express enough how much I appreciate you fitting us into your schedule. I really appreciate it. It's great to talk to you, Grant. It's great to meet you. Absolutely. Uh, and again, you have, oh, of course, you have anything else you would like to leave the audience with or, or are you good? I think I'm good. All right, perfect. All right, well, I hope you all Really enjoyed that episode. If you're looking for the links to purchase the books that Admiral Klein talked about, then head to the show notes. You can take a look. Otherwise, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts and be sure to subscribe. And as always, if you're ever looking for more content, make sure to go to my Facebook page, Academy Insider, or my website, www.academyinsider.com for more information about the Midshipman Experience in Annapolis. My name's Grant Vermeer. I'm the Academy Insider, and thank you so much for letting me be your guide to the Naval Academy.